Welcome to Block Stars, Ripple's podcast that features leaders in crypto and blockchain to discuss the basics of these technologies, the current landscape, and the real-world problems being solved. I'm your host, Ripple CTO David Schwartz. Energy consumption is a critical side effect of blockchain technology, and as we see greater adoption and usage of this new technology across the global financial system, it's one topic that needs to be addressed to help ensure a sustainable future for our planet and for the global economy. I'm joined today with Sid John Leopold, Ernst & Young's Entrepreneur of the Year nominee, educated at Stanford University in business, and author of the scientific article, How Eco-Friendly Is Our Money and Is There an Alternative?, to discuss this important topic. Great to have you on our episode, Sid. Great to be here, David. So let's get right into the carbon footprint of money. Tell us about uh, the sustainability of our currency today. Uh, what currencies did you analyze and compare? Yeah, so in the scientific article, I compared uh, Bitcoin, Ether, XRP, and the US dollar and the Visa network. And going into it, I, I somewhat knew that, that obviously Bitcoin and Ether were, were going to be the the two coins or crypto uh, or currencies, so to say, that would use far far more energy than, than the other two. But what really surprised me is that XRP uh, as a blockchain is more efficient than uh, the US dollar on the Visa network. And Visa is built only for efficiency, I would say. Uh, of course, they have some security parts there, but they are a centralized company. They have a centralized uh, server farm that... that um, um, handles the transaction, so to say. Still, the XRP used less energy than than the Visa Visa network. So, how much of a problem is this? Are we talking about a tiny, you know, blip in the sort of la the energy landscape totally? Or are we talking about something that's important today, or something that might become important in the future if these systems expand? Put it in some kind of context. If you look at Bitcoin, it actually. Uh, uses more energy than whole small countries, for example, uh, Iceland and Syria. So this is not a minuscule like blip on the radar when people are talking about Bitcoin uses a lot of energy. We are talking about massive amounts of energy. And uh, compared to like the biggest companies around the world, like Google, that that are technology only, basically, and have, have hundreds of thousands of servers around the globe, it they are not even using 1% of what Bitcoin is using when it comes to electricity. So, so Bitcoin, the design behind it, uh, it's, it's designed to secure the network by, by using energy. And therefore, I mean, this is something, if I ambition like going forward, that Bitcoin is just going to use more and more. So it's very important that we focus on this topic and, and look how can we make this working in a better way, e either by, by using some other consensus mechanism as in XRP or proof of stake, or if we should use something else that actually produce this energy. Because how it looks today, uh, for example, in China, uh, they are giving rebates to, to facilities producing electricity to mine Bitcoin. Uh, I got some reports on that as well. So for me, it's like it's just spitting out more and more CO2 to produce the produce these Bitcoins. And I don't think that's that's the opposite of sustainable, if so to say. Is that kind of what got you interested in looking at this more in more detail, that sort of alarming amount of consumption? 
for me, it started with the notion that the common person had lesser resources and generally worse outcomes in life, the further back we look in history. The obvious question then is why? If we choose to look at it in the simplest, simplest terms, it's because of innovations making it both cost less to produce while making it more, getting more out of each energy unit you extract. In the economy, we talk about economic floor and ceiling, where the floor represents the lowest a person can sink in terms of living standards, and ceiling as to how high individuals can fly in the same economy. Looking back, we have both raised the economic floor and ceiling, meaning that the poorest today are richer than the poorest of yesterday, and the richest fly even higher than historical kings. Going deeper into this thought, what makes all of this possible is innovation and traits of innovation are higher efficiencies and new and better tools. It's in this lens I view cryptocurrencies, tools of innovation with the potential to make the world economy more efficient and therefore raising both the economic floor and ceiling for everyone. And historically, we have always propelled onward with the tools that both got the job done and were the most efficient. My guess is that this will be the case as well with cryptocurrencies. So do you think that proof of work will eventually uh, be a factor that weighs against adoption and growth of Bitcoin? If you look at problems, when you look at problems like this, you have to look at them in scale. And scaling the problem of proof of work, then it becomes, in a way it becomes less useful. And this is a little bit what, I, what I'm touching in the article is the usefulness of a currency is, it, is its inbound value. So it's important for something to have value on scale. It needs to be useful. This is kind of a strange thought for a lot of people, but I know, it, I know it's something that you think about a lot, which is that what's important about money is its efficiency. They usually don't think about like how efficient is my money. Can you explain to people why efficiency is a key property of money? Sure. So let's talk about the velocity of money, basically meaning the speed of money. Speed in this case is the efficiency part of money. A thought experiment here is if $1 travels to 10 destinations under a minute versus taking three to five days going A to B, how much value has the fast dollar created versus the slow one? This is a really interesting thought because most of our uh, of our money today sit idly, either waiting for instructions in Vostra Nostra accounts or in or in transit. Uh, the only time money is really useful in the real economy with real people creating real value is when money is exchanged for goods goods and services. Think of the fast dollar as a tool that can exchange someone, someone's wants for a need more times per minute than the slow one. So that's the reasoning behind utility and value. So has money been getting faster? Do we see over time people using money more and more quickly? Yes, everything becomes faster and more efficient. That seems to be the trace of in innovation. And the way I see cryptocurrencies is just like these ongoing innovations of, of money because money is continuously being better and better. And we had this, when it comes to the internet, it was really interesting because 
everyone thought about that money should be built into the backbone of the internet. But the problem why that didn't happen is that the innovations were lagging in, in the money, uh, money department when, when the internet came around. So I'm very glad right now that we are in a state where we both have a global internet and, and we have a money system that can, can, so to say, work as the same way as information flows today. So is that kind of the future? I go to buy something and I send some money and then within a very small amount of time, that money goes to various different uh, organizations or goes to buy goods or just like my order sends instructions and money at the same time? The way I see the future is a future where like everything is much connected. Everything goes much faster. And because of of money can travel faster, the economy is going to scale and it's going to be much, much bigger. And this is something that's good for everyone. And you're, you're touching the, the notion of programming money. And that, that is something that I think is going to be very big as well. You know, it's, it's kind of funny thinking about this because just eight years ago in 2012, when I was working on the XRP ledger, Bitcoin had established that it could settle in between 10 minutes and 60 minutes. And we thought, wow, that was that it might as well be instant. Like that's as fast as because we were comparing it to systems that took many days. And in early versions of the XRP ledger design, it could it, in one version, it took 30 minutes to settle. And we really didn't see at the time any benefit to making it faster. We just made it faster because we could. It's kind of amusing to think now that you know, is there a benefit to going to sub-second? Like, is, do the benefits keep accruing? Yeah, that's a really interesting thought. It's like uh, trying to be a little bit of the genie in the bottle and, and, and understand, like, how is the future going to behave before the future is here? But, like, looking backward and trying to understand how the future is going to behave, I think there's going to be benefits to making things faster and faster. I, I don't really see where where the end is going to be. Is it like sub one second or sub milliseconds? I don't know where, where, where the stop is, but I think we can go faster. Probably like seconds is like where benefits fall off or something. I'm not sure. I'm going to eat that up in the future. I'm sure. Like I really, uh, I, I really didn't foresee like how it's going to work, but like speed is key. The big thing that we discovered is that when a human being makes a payment, they feel uncomfortable while their money is sort of missing. And until they get that confirmation that the money went to the destination, they feel like unease. And if that unease is five or seven seconds, that's just like the, before you even realize that you're, you're in a sort of state. Uh, but of course, that's dealing with humans, dealing with machines, you know, obviously more efficient uh, operations could take place at much, much smaller time frames. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting thought of you because like when it comes to the psychology of, of money, uh, I mean, how you behave and how you think of it is as crucial as the actual technology, technology behind it. So if, if you are not at ease with the money you use or you're not at ease before they have settled, maybe you're not doing a second uh, payment for something else because you want to wait and see that everything worked. And here I see huge uh, efficiencies uh, being created. 
When it comes to the psychological factors of money, and perhaps in a world where people can choose the money that they want to use, how important is things like trust and transparency, both in the economic base itself and in the means of transfer? Yeah, okay. So when it comes to trust, we usually talk about the trustless part of cryptocurrencies. And for me, that is the trustless part is what what's make cryptocurrencies money 2.0. Uh, for me to to not be uh, where you don't have to use a third party to de- deciding on what's good or evil this is something that on scale benefits us all it was was one of the missing part uh, to why money wasn't built into the internet from start i think uh, and i see like the trustless part there are only two bad things a, it's harder to understand than using a third party and therefore can lag the adoption of it. And B, it's less efficient. And that's why it's so interesting discussing and exploring other ways forward than proof of work. So one thing I think is often overlooked when it comes to cryptocurrencies, when you compare XRP to, to the most of, of the other ones, um, for example, Bitcoin, is the certainty level of it. Because a transaction is certain on the, on, on the ledger uh, on XRP, while uh, when it comes to Bitcoin, it's a level of certainty. So what level of certainty am, am I comfortable with going forward? Uh, and that's a problem. That, that, that's a problem at uh, making the speed problem even bigger because like on average you have a block every 10 minutes but is one block height enough for me or is it five blocks six blocks how should i determine this and that depends on the hash rate of or the current hash rate of, of the blockchain that also varies over time so it becomes like you need to be this mad scientist no, to, to like determine if, if has this transaction gone through yet? Because it's not yes or no, it's just a level of certainty. But if you look at the XRP uh, ledger working as is, like every fourth or fifth second, you have certainty on this on both sides. And it doesn't matter if you view the transaction in different ways, the certainty is there. It's like a binary, yes, it closes it. You can bash it, David. If if you think I'm in the wrong here, uh, let me know. No, I I do think an important difference in the XRP ledger's behavior, and and this wasn't so much by design. This was sort of things that we got by accident as properties of the the difference in the technology. When we didn't, when we started to use like some sort of a Byzantine agreement algorithm instead of proof of work, we didn't know what properties that would give us. We we didn't know we didn't know if it would work. And when we built it, we noticed that it had these properties. And a, another interesting one that's closely related to what you mentioned is that the equivalent of the block rate, the ledger rate, is more predictable. It's much less variable. And that ha- and and we got that by accident. We didn't design it to have a more predictable block rate. It just so happens that that's a characteristic of the algorithm. And another characteristic of the algorithm is that you get a, a much higher level of, cert- for all practical purposes, absolutely. I'm never going to call something 100, percent but like 99. You know, for all practical purposes, absolute certainty, very very quickly. These are not properties that we designed into the system. They're properties that emerged from the algorithms, and we didn't know that they would be important. Nobody in 2012, like unless you're this. Incredible, you know, genius at some level that no, like nobody knew how important those properties would be. Like I said before, we thought thirty minutes was great. 
like when you're compared, because we were thinking of things like wire transfers and international pay and like going to Western Union. That's what that's what we were comparing it to. And and we kind of lucked out in a lot and a lot of these things that the technology produced these properties that were not only interesting, but also useful and and turned out to be important. Yeah. So one of the things I think is really interesting when it comes to cryptocurrency is like how people got started. And you can correct me, David, if I'm wrong here, but from my memory, I read that you started like thinking about this and, and starting to think about the XRP ledger because you were, your account at PayPal were closed down and you didn't give, you weren't given a, like a, a fair reason to, 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 to why and, and how you should fix that problem. So you had to create a better system. So I think this is very interesting because like when you look at cryptocurrencies today, like everyone has these kind of stories. And I remember getting into cryptocurrencies from, from a slightly different angle. Uh, I, I was a semi pro in Counter-Strike. Uh, and uh, I got a lot, a lot of gifts in, in the game uh, that were skins for, for like the guns you used in the game, basically. And they had some value, but I didn't know what the value was. And they were only <laughs> denominated in Bitcoin. And I was like, what is Bitcoin? And is that worth anything? So I sold all my skins when I gave up this pipe dream of becoming a pro in Counter-Strike. I was too old, too slow, uh, you know, so, so I sold these skins, got some Bitcoins, you know, never tell how many Bitcoins you have or that you even have Bitcoins. Uh, so, so breaking that rule now, but uh, I sold the skins, I got some Bitcoins and that's how I got started with cryptocurrencies because I had to learn what is this? How does it work? etc. And then just going further with this, I found out about the XRP and now I'm here. So if you'd found out about it earlier, you could have been a pro gamer. I could. <laughs> I could. <laughs> but I was too slow, you know. <laughs> yeah, I love that. So let's switch gears a bit. It's August 2020 now. We're in the midst of a global pandemic, COVID-19. Uh, people are working from home more. People are not making transactions in person as much as they used to. People are buying things online. Uh, how does that tie into the currency picture? How we see what happens in fiat currencies today, uh, histor- looking historically, we have, have never had something similar to this when it comes to printing money and, and peop- uh, countries a little bit competing in, in printing money. Uh, the way I see it is that what you, what you try to do here is you try to stimulate the economy by printing money. And the winners in this globally is the US. And that's because loans are denominated usually in US dollars. So the US can print a lot of money without having unacceptable inflation. So this is very interesting because inflation doesn't follow the amount of money you print. It, it follows the psychology and, and the, the globe, so-called global psychology of what people want. If all countries around the world want the US to have good value in their dollar as of today, it's going to stay there. So, so the US citizens uh, and the US in general, uh, what, right now you have a really, really nice position where you can actually print more money than other countries and, st- and still hold the value of that currency. With that said, 
I'm not sure that this is going to work forever. Uh, if we look at China and if we uh, look globally, th- there there is a push uh, both in in denominate loans and and oil in in one and and also starting to be pushes for cryptocurrencies to be more globally adopted, where no central authority can can have this power. Uh, looking at this COVID on the economic side. Um, trying to like predict the future on this you're going to be wrong no matter no matter what you, you predict I, I think i mean if i say that the dollar is going to plummet i mean it's just going to work and work and work forever <laughs> so, so so i'm not going to do a prediction but what i'm saying is that we are in, in an environment where things are more unknown than we are used to and that creates a lot of uncertainty in the markets. And uh, I think that cryptocurrencies can be a good hedge uh, where people actually can opt out from a currency into another more, uh, more easy, so to say. Do you think it's possible for the U.S. to lose its position as the printer of the world's reserve currency? Is that possibly in the cards? If you look historically, yes. I mean, the life expectancy of any fiat currency is not that long. I think it's yeah. 27 years or something like that. So not long. Uh, and still, I don't. I think it's in the most uh, persons around the world's interest that this stays the same, even though it benefits the US a little bit more than everybody else. But we need a currency... Uh, that that works on a global scale and that is the us dollar right now because of liquidity reasons and 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 other stuff but if you ask is it possible for it to lose it Uh, not not in the near future mid future i think but in the far future i think yes and what should replace it i don't think another fiat currency i think something that works better and something that works better right now in many cases are cryptocurrencies could you imagine a world where countries basically decide that if there isn't if there isn't going to be one stable world reserve currency because I think every country would like to be the issuer of the world's reserve currency but if they accept that they're not going to be that issuer could they prefer a system that nobody can control to one that was controlled by one of their geopolitical competitors yes I think that is like perfectly reasoned uh, why it could work. Because if if like two countries become equally powerful, the mutual destruction there is not going to be worth it. And you know, maybe opting into something else then. So does that does that argue for a scenario where one cryptocurrency takes over the world, or does that argue for a scenario where multiple cryptocurrencies could compete? Because they have different characteristics. Head on the nail there. Because um, the way I see it, why we have so many different cryptocurrencies deducting scams from this equation is that all the currencies, cryptocurrencies are trying either to solve the same problem in different ways or solving different problems. And how I view cryptocurrencies, as, as previously stated, is they are tools of innovation that you can use to, to, to make things more efficient. So the way I see it is that different currencies has different purposes, and therefore there will be a few that will prevail and many more will die out, but there are room for more than one. 
Yeah, an analogy I sometimes use is search engines. Like at one time, there were an enormous number of search engines, and it was not clear at that time whether one would emerge, and if so, which, or whether they would all compete and they would specialize in different areas. And of course, what happened is Google, you know, took over the world. But I, I certainly wouldn't argue that 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 same outcome is necessarily going to occur. But I think we're seeing that same sort of game play out. Yeah, uh, I mean, when it comes to search engine, is is like you are saying, like everyone uses Google except on TV in TV shows. Everyone uses Bing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know how that works, but you know, everybody's phone number is five five five. So you know, it, it it's not the reality, I guess. But when it comes to the cryptocurrencies, I mean, as you stated, uh, compared to to search engine, it's it's very hard to see. To be sure how it plays out, and and this goes into like what I think is good for for myself. What I'm trying to practice is to have uncertainty as a baseline, because if you are too certain on things, you're not going to be open to learning new things. So this is more like the psychology of like how to live your life. But when it comes to cryptocurrencies, they are so new, even though they have been around for some time, that it's better to have an open mind uncertainty as a baseline and like every day try to see like what is happening how does it work what what doesn't work etc so yeah so if we were holding this show back then we probably wouldn't be talking about like which search engine was the best what we'd be talking about is like how important are search engines do people need them do they meet a real use case is there are there going to be search engines in five years are they going to be economically relevant those are the questions that we're asking about cryptocurrencies now yeah, and I mean, it's always hard to ask like the right questions. That's what you're saying for the future. Yeah. Uh, I remember here here in Sweden, there was like 15 or 20 years ago, there were, was a, a TV show uh, uh, or, or it was a news show actually uh, telling us about this new phenomenon of having uh, personal computers at home with this search cap- uh, capability of looking up everything in the world. And they concluded that this was useless because if you had a book, it was much more efficient to just open up the book and, and go to the chapter you wanted to read because otherwise you needed to start your computer. That took five five minutes back then. And then you need to log on to the internet. That took an additional two minutes. And then you needed to log on to that page an additional one minute or something. So like looking at the world today and trying to judge this new innovation is hard. Um, so I agree on that one. Yeah, I sometimes use the analogy of the Model T. Like people pointed out all the things that were wrong with the Model T. But if you were enough of a visionary, you could say, look, all of those things, yes, they're true today, but they're not inherent in the technology. And if you were enough of a visionary, you could say this is going to replace the horse. And other people would say that you're crazy. So I guess the question here is like, could cryptocurrencies usurp the role of fiat currencies generally? Yeah, I, th- I think cryptocurrencies can replace uh, fiat currencies in the future and, and have that role. Uh, what I'm a little bit worried about is how that is going to f- unfold. Because power is you know, usually not given, it's taken. And how this is going to work with cryptocurrencies when you have this decentralized nature of it and more and more users are using uh, cryptocurrencies and states have having big problems uh, in like showing that they are the best tool to use before you had no choice 
I mean, you were in a country, this is the currency, you're going to use it no matter what uh, you like it or not. But now when you have cryptocurrencies and, and the internet almost everywhere, it's going to be a, uh, very, very hard for states to, to force people to use a currency. So what I hope for is that cryptocurrencies force uh, the ones in power to to behave in a way where the fiat currencies behaves in a way that that uh, benefits the most and that is what i think is going to happen so you're going to have fiats that stays um and they are staying because they are adapting to the new reality um and you have fiat uh, currencies that's going to die out and they are simply dying out because they are not competitive in in the global market anymore so Sid, we're, we're almost out of time. I'm going to take the conversation back to efficiency and sustainability and ask you to gaze into your crystal ball one last time. How do you see efficiency and sustainability of money changing over the coming five years? Are we going to be using more efficient, more sustainable ways of moving money around? We have always propelled the tools that, that are the most efficient and get the job done. And I see no reason why this should be something different when it comes to currencies. Currencies is just a tool, a tool that we use to trade. And if money 2.0 comes along, we're going to use money 2.0 if it works better. And the environment is like the factor that affects us all. So when it comes to tools that makes the lives of millions better of today, we don't want those tools to potentially drastically making the lives worsen for all of us in the future. So what I think is going to happen is that there's going to come regulation to cryptocurrencies and uh, obviously when it comes to the environmental part of it as well. Maybe you're going to put uh, tax on the CO2 emissions uh, globally someday maybe we, um, and that is going to affect cryptocurrencies a lot when you use proof of work systems just just to reference a, a, a very interesting metric from my article that really stuck with me is that 144 pounds of co2 is emissioned uh, in every transaction on the Bitcoin blockchain on average, 144 pounds. So as a user of cryptocurrencies, if you use Bitcoin regularly every day in your transactions, you emit 144 pounds per transaction on average. And thinking of it in that way, much more closer at home, when you use that currency, uh, it becomes apparent that this is this probably is not the most efficient way to reach consensus. All right, last question. We'll switch gears and close with a fun one. Um, this space attracts a lot of entrepreneurs because there's just the whole space is open. You know, we, the ecosystem needs everything, exchanges, wallets. We're just completely building. Are there any favorite books or advice that you would give to any entrepreneurs interested in the space and why? Oh, that, that, that's a big question. And... <laughs> <laughs> There's so much to say about it. I, I mean, I've done every mistake you can do and, and <laughs> probably some, some right decisions along the way also. Um, but th there's one thing that's going to benefit 
everyone that listens to this podcast. And that's, that's to read a book I, I read recently that I really wished I read much, much sooner because it would have like spared me so much pain in life and, and spared me from doing so many mistakes when it comes to relationships, both, uh, uh, both to my girlfriend and, and to my friends and family and the relationships to my, uh, to my peers. And that, that is, um, how to Win, how to Win Friends and Influence People by uh, Dale Carnegie. Uh, I, I think he wrote it in like 1920 or something. So it's a really old book, like uh, around 100 years old. But the tone of it is modern. Uh, some references are a little bit, you know, that happened 100 years ago. I don't know who this person is here who he references, but this book really, really resonated with me. And I think it's going to propel my life to, to even higher ground. So how to win friends and influence people read that book. Uh, that's a recommendation. Yeah, I've also had days when absolutely nothing goes right, sometimes weeks. And and every once in a while, a family member would ask me how my day was on one of those days where absolutely nothing I tried worked. And I felt like I was just, you know, trying to push a string or something. And they would say, how did your day go? And my I would always give the same answer. I would say, if you only have to make every mistake once, I had a great day. <laughs> if you only make mistakes once, then you have succeeded, uh, yeah. David. So. Yeah, you've reduced the number of mistakes you have left to make by uh, yeah. that large amount. L- I love that logic, David. <laughs> Thank you, Sid, for joining me. It was a pleasure hosting you. Thank you, David. Thank you for listening to Blockstars. If you have any questions about this episode or any feedback for new episodes, please reach out to me on Twitter at Joel Katz, J-O-E-L-K-A-T-Z, or to the Ripple team on Twitter at Ripple. See you around the blockchain. <laughs>